good to see all of you here I mean you know what you look even better than I imagined you looked out there when we were recording the podcast it's, it's yeah it's, it's so great to see you to come together and be together have the energy of being in, in person um, yeah I don't know what to say I have notes but I'm afraid to open my folder because I think everything will fly away um, if I, I do notes here. okay yeah um, yeah I just have to say Makes me want to cry to see you all practically. It's wonderful. So, um, just some housekeeping sort of FAQs. If you have to go to the bathroom, you can go up this ramp. I'm sure that'll be fun. And the bathrooms are right inside. Um, you know, for communion, we're going to do obviously not together like we would normally do communion. So, if you didn't bring communion elements, there's, there's some on the back table, individual servings. So, do that with your pod, your family, whoever you're with. Um, and if you brought extra food, eat any time. Sure, yeah. Open that bottle of wine and you could start drinking it now. We'll uh, bless it later. Yeah. Feel free to get up and walk around. Absolutely. What, um, uh, what else here? Oh, I think also at that table there's a sanitizing, sanitizing station and masks if you need them. Yeah, extra masks, sanitizing station. Um, yeah. Uh, I would have... Thank everybody who worked hard to set this up and bring this about. I especially want to thank uh, John Hermanson for coming and playing for us. It's so good to, to hear you. Yeah. To hear some live music, huh? For, yeah, yeah. wow. So that's, uh, that's fantastic. Now, just a little bit about this Feast of Jonah. This is a Feast of Jonah like no other. Um, we will, um, at the time of communion, first we will... Uh, Bless, we'll say the words of institution, and then you may commune with each other at that point. Following that, we'll invite you up, as we regularly do in the Feast of Jonah, to take a rock and throw it over into the, uh, into the sea as Jonah was, was thrown. You might notice that the rock piles are six feet away from the, uh, from the vast sea, so... Please uh, social distance in uh, in yeah in your rock throwing in your rock throwing yeah. Um, hey, we are going to do a communal prayer. So if you didn't get a bulletin, you might want to get one because that's in there. And you can uh, uh, get one from John back there. J 
John has been calling me uh, twice a week saying, when are we going to have an in-person service again? And I was finally glad to be able to tell him. So, John, we're so glad to see you back here, and thank you for welcoming everybody here. Our head usher for all these years, John Carney. This is the House of Mercy, and welcome to it. I drank good wine on hotel beds and balconies. I bought good luck charms for all the money. I took the wings of morning and flew to the furthest sea. I woke up on Venice Beach with you against me. I was on my way to do a job in Jericho. Changed my mind when I heard of the violence on the radio. I took the wings of morning and flew to the furthest sea. I woke up on Venice Beach with you again. that you are with us as we move further into the darkness, really, because it doesn't always seem like you're with us. As the colorful and green things wither, as the things we have taken for granted become more precarious, help us breathe in the mercy, even from the dank belly of the whale, and breathe out the love, now and as long as we have breath but do help us know you are with us. Amen.
When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to them except for the sign of Jonah. that 
we made up okay this feast we made up to mark the autumnal equinox the turn to darkness but I know that the turn toward darkness has never felt quite so pronounced like it's descending ominously by the day more and more ominously by the day on Wednesday I heard from a friend in Oregon who had to be evacuated because of the fires theirs was one of the few houses left it was terrible on Thursday I got an email from the director of faith and public life urging me to join a webinar to prepare faith leaders to prevent outbreaks of election violence. Dangerous times lie ahead, the invitation said. Pastors must build their skills to de-escalate election violence. This phrase, election violence. And as my skills tend more toward reading and writing, I have not wanted to embrace my brother's prediction of armed chaos. This email from a respected colleague made me feel afraid. On Friday at 6.49, Olivia texted that Ruth Bader Ginsburg had died. I don't know why I decided if decided is even really the word to go on social media. But after scrolling through the nightmare fears of many of my friends, think full on Handmaid's Tale, I realized I was in the beginning stages of a slow rolling panic attack. Can you have a slow rolling panic attack? I think so, because that's what I feel. Not all at once, it comes in waves that don't really ebb. I thought, we, I thought, I really need to pass through this fear, not tarry too long here. We'll get paralyzed. Three days in the belly of the whale, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the digestive juices start breaking down your bones. Three days feels like enough already. And I know some of us have felt the waves closing in over our heads longer than that. Death is really all around us. The darkness is not at all theoretical. Beloved members of this community have died this summer. Matthew, Leif, and Don. Nearly a million people have died in the pandemic so far. The light from the sun has been literally blocked by the smoke of climate change fires. So it's a weird year for me to be so resoundingly struck by how funny the book of Jonah is. It made me laugh out loud to read it. That could be stress-induced hysteria. But no, it's a funny book. A lot of scholars say so. What really got me was a place where the cows put on sackcloth and fast. Cows and sheep with their little hooves trying to get the hair shirts over their heads. But it was also Jonah. He is so over-the-top whiny and, like, super badly behaved. I, I kept picturing an unhappy Homer Simpson. 
Everyone around him tries to do the right thing. The sailors on the boat, Jonah gets on to try to escape God's call. They try to do their best to keep everyone so safe without throwing him into the sea. The fish saves him from drowning. The king of Nineveh and all the people of Nineveh and all the animals repent almost instantaneously when Jonah confronts them with their evil ways. The plant that grows up to shade Jonah from the sun listens to God. The worm that eats the plant that shades Jonah from the sun responds to God's call. Every other character in the book of Jonah, human, animal, plant, insect, listen to God, try to do the right thing. But Jonah is so consumed by, I don't know what, his own self-righteousness, feeling sorry for himself, some myopic vision he can't seem to care about or enjoy or even notice any of the good happening around him. I mean, this is crazy. Jonah says to God, I tried to flee from you because I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and ready to relent from punishing. I mean, who doesn't need grace and compassion and loving kindness? But Jonah is like, this is so terrible for me. I want to die. Please kill me. It's so absurd. And he says basically the same thing when he loses the shade that's been shielding him from the sun. He gets hot and he's so angry he wants to die. I mean, he's so over the top something, I'm not sure what, selfish, easily agitated, dour, morose. So over the top that it's funny. Jonah gets saved by a fish, goes to prophesy and is listened to immediately by everyone. Has a God who is gracious and merciful and full of loving kindness and won't let him go. And Jonah is so angry, he wants to die. So I guess... It's like sort of a funny book and sort of a tragic one. The book ends with a question, with God asking Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about that shade vine dying when you didn't grow it? And then I shouldn't have compassion on Nineveh, where there are more than 120,000 beings and also many animals. The darkness is coming. Nineveh hasn't repented. We haven't been saved from drowning by a giant fish. Maybe we feel like we haven't really seen God's loving compassion. But I think that it's here. I think it's in creation. Like in the seeds that seem to be inert all winter, but in the in the spring, they raise up and there's beautiful, colorful flowers or cilantro that makes our food taste good. I mean, that is so, we don't just live. Things are beautiful and taste good. I think God's loving compassion is in there. And I also think we see God's loving compassion in each other. And maybe that's a little bit harder because it seems like a lot of responsibility to like see each other as vessels of love, to act like vessels of love. But I believe that's where we will find God's loving compassion 
and each other. You walking in darkness, you living in the land of night, you have seen light, you walking in darkness, you who are living in the land of night, you have seen light. Terminal equinox is the point at which the sun appears to cross the celestial equator heading south. It's the point where there is an equal amount of daylight and of darkness in the northern hemisphere. You see, equinox, equa meaning equal, nox meaning night, I think. I mean, I guess. Equinox, it could also be the name of a vegan schmear with a sugar substitute. Both can be right, I think. What I do know is that from now on until the winter solstice, 112 days from now, the light will grow shorter, and the night will grow longer until December 20th, when we will have just seven hours and 23 minutes of sunlight. These winter days in the northern latitudes, such as ours, are well known today among our peoples as the time of seasonal effect disorder. The sad times. 
But in the ancient times before antidepressants and full spectrum light boxes, you really need at least like 10,000 lumens or more for 20 minutes a day to actually have it be effective. Our ancestors, even long before Christianity established the Feast of Jonah, the autumnal equinox was marked by rituals in almost every culture. It was celebrated as a time when we make the first steps toward death, physical, spiritual, and emotional. The sun dies in the West earlier and earlier each day, reminding us that our own death grows closer every day. It's a time of turning inward, of going down into ourselves, into our dens, into the earth, it's a period of contemplation. It's a time to meditate on what death might mean, to rehearse its possibility, to accept its inevitability, and to remind ourselves of the stories and the scriptures of our people, the cycle of death and resurrection in our holy book, the radical mercy in which God goes down into death and is brought to destruction by God's own creation, and then rises, bringing up death itself, redeeming death itself so that it is no longer a thing to fear, but it is in fact another place where we will find God's presence with us. But, I do have to say, when we started this Feast of Jonah, when we began observing it, we may have actually made it up a little bit and then sort of projected it back into ancient Christian history, but maybe we discovered a lost tradition, I can't quite remember which one, and it doesn't really matter. When we started practicing the Feast of Jonah, it was a time where we were mostly just dealing with how the lack of sunlight kind of depressed us a lot. And a lot of us were frankly already pretty depressed even when it was July. So we thought this kind of ritualistic contemplation would be a great thing for our community to intentionally examine the darkness. And it has been, it has been. It seems like we are the kind of people that can really get into contemplating death, depression, and darkness. It makes us feel better. It's somehow this contemplating it together, writing stories and essays and sermons together. In this, we found some comfort. The comfort of not being alone in the dark, finding hope in speaking out loud to each other our fears. Discovering together that God's mercy includes darkness. But this year is uh, different from all others. The darkness seems to have been building for years now. And every time we think that things could not get darker, could not get scarier, they do. I don't need to rehearse all of them. Debbie co um, covered a few of them. You've all lived through them. I mean, but weren't the afflictions fraught enough? 
We've used the book of Jonah as a place to center our meditation on the coming darkness. It's written as a parody of a prophet. This prophet believes so much that God is on the side of his people. He believes that so much that he is on the side of God, the creator of the universe. And he believes that this God is so full of mercy that when he is commanded to go and to preach death and destruction to the Hebrews' greatest enemies, unless they repent, he chooses to run from God because he knows that on the off chance these horrible, evil, dark-souled Ninevites do repent, that God actually will spare them from destruction. He wants to see their cities burn. But he knows that God will forgive them. He cannot comprehend what it would be like for his God, the God of his people, to cross the line to love and forgive these people of such deep darkness, these people who bring death about. You know how the story goes. Jonah does run. He gets on a ship. God sends a storm to stop him. But he he tells the sailors to throw him over to his certain death, down into the darkness, the deep, Sheol, the pit, the very realm of darkness, to throw him over. And then there's a musical number. The whole second chapter is a, it's a musical number. It's a song. It's a psalm. And it's a song of gratitude. It's a song that's sung from the point of view of Jonah after he's already been delivered by God. He sings about how he sinks to the bottom and how he's, he's, uh, the seaweed wraps around him and pulls him down. And he sees how he's like in prison. Bars are keeping him down under there. And then he sees, he sees this hope. He sees this God reaching and bringing him up and, and delivering him, redeeming him, resurrecting him from the bottom. I've never really known evildoers in quite the way that I've seen them starting, what, four years ago, building, building. I mean, it used to be, now it seems almost quaint. They used to say, well, it might be hard to have conversations at Thanksgiving. I mean, if that were all we had to worry about. I'm bringing Joe uh, out to Portland to go to college, and there's like, not only are there fascists and Antifa driving through the streets downtown shooting each other, but there's now, now you can't breathe there, the fires, you know, they are due for a thousand year earthquake. There is a volcano not too far away from there. 
Do you think I it's like uh, I exaggerating that this might happen? I mean. What happens, right? We're going toward the election. What happens when these people, if they win or if they lose? We know they got guns. We know they got hate in their hearts. What's going to happen? We, as Debbie said, are still... in the deep, in the darkness. But luckily, and not luckily, but beautifully, there is a meditation. And I'm not going to say that I saw it online. I'm not going to say you have to subscribe to it. But it is something that I found that can be helpful for us to be able to not only live through this, but to be enlivened by this. It's, gonna be, it's a way that we will feel God's peace and mercy. It's the meditation of Jonah. And I'd like to ask you all to do this with me if you could. First of all, close your eyes. If you will, feel weird closing your eyes, you don't have to. But breathe in, breathe out, feel the air inflating your lungs, that beautiful air, exhaling. Now I want you to picture yourself as you breathe, you're looking over the edge of a ship and you see those waters, those dark and murky waters. Now I want you to hold your breath and jump into that water and continue holding your breath for three days. When Jonah went down, the rabbis write, that he felt called, that he looked over the edge and saw what they say were the fingers of God reaching up to him almost to the surface. And that's what compelled him to jump. When he jumped, he held his breath and sunk down to the bottom where his lungs began to burn. And if he knew that he inhaled, that he would, he would, he would drown. There's no fish in the rabbi's story. There's nothing to swallow him up. It's just him down at the bottom, at the pit, Sheol, death. And then he looks up and he sees on the other side of the water, just about to break the surface, God's hand reaching down to pull him up. Just keep holding your breath. Keep holding your breath. For this to work. And as he was down there holding his breath, he began to, I don't know, lose consciousness or the carbon dioxide in his blood began to uh, affect his brain or whatever happened. And when he was about to pass out, 
this hand reached across that water line, broke the water line from the surface, reached down, and pulled him up out of the water. And that's when he realized that God was not on his side. He realized that God was on the other side. Whatever side of that water line he was on, he saw God ready to pull him across to the other one. This book, this parody, is a strange thing because it's, uh, it's all about the joke in this book is always that by, by claiming that God is on your side, you define yourself as being outside of where God is because God has moved to the other side. See, in the book of Jonah, God is perpetually on the other side. God's on the other side always. It's the only way that human beings can align themselves with God is by remaining on the outside, the other side. Because God is always on the outside of whatever side there was. And if you ask him why he had to be that way, he answers, just because. God is on the other side. What side is God on? The other side. The outside. So the kingdom of God, as it unfolds in the world, necessarily comes to and through the other siders, the outsiders. So our ability to judge others like God's is incomplete without the capacity to identify with the others. As the Ninevites repent, so does God, and God moves to be with them. And Jonah certainly tries to remain on God's side, but when he sits there looking for God's destruction of Nineveh, he sits on the outside. We're, hold, you keep holding your breath now. Keep holding your breath. When we're down, when our lungs are burning, and we look up, and we see the other side, where God is, where the Ninevites are, we need to ask ourselves, what is it about the Ninevites that I'm missing? What is it about the Ninevites that God sees that I don't? And we need to move close enough to that line to try and see it. We need to move close enough to that line, close enough for God to reach across it and pull us over to the other side and save us. It's been three days, the belly of a whale. It's been three days, locked up in the cell. It's cold and dark down here, but I believe the shore is near. It's been three days, the belly of a whale. When they found me on the corner, I was drowning. Swimming in the 
sorrows of my past In the shadow book of Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has risen before me. But Jonah fled to Tarshish, away from the presence of God. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish and paid his fare and went on board. But the Lord cast a great wind upon the sea, and there was a great, great storm, and the ship threatened to break up. 
Then the sailors on the boat were afraid, and each man cried out to his God. And they cast the gear that was on the ship into the sea to lighten their load. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship and had lain down and had fallen fast asleep. The captain approached him and said, what are you doing asleep? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps the God will spare us a thought so that we do not perish. The sailors said to each other, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this calamity is upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. They said to him, tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What is your work? Where do you come from? What is your land? And from what people are you? Jonah said, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the God who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were even more afraid and said to him, what is this you have done? For the men knew that he was trying to escape the presence of God because he had told them so. Then they said to him, what shall we do that the sea calm for us? For the sea was storming more and more. He said, lift me up and cast me into the sea so it will calm for you. For I know that it's because of me that this great storm is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't do it, for the sea was storming more and more. Then they called out to the Lord and said, Please, God, pray, let us not perish on account of the life of this man, and do not exact from us the blood of the innocent, for you, O oh Lord, do as you desire to do. So then they picked Jonah up, and they threw him into the sea. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. The water closed in over me, and the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head, at the roots of the mountain, I went down to the land, whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up from my life from the pit, O Lord my God, as my life was ebbing away, I remembered, Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. As we bless this cup, and this bread, we also bless yours. This is God's table and all are welcome. On the night Jesus was delivered over to death, he took bread and he gave thanks for it and he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples to eat saying, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. And after supper, Jesus took the cup and he gave the cup for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, 
shed for you and shed for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this and remember me. We now invite you to commune together, alone with one another in the presence of us all. And after you have communed, we invite you to come forward. Just as Jonah was thrown into the sea and sunk to the bottom where he contemplated darkness, life, and death, we invite you to come and throw a rock into the sea as your first act in going down into the contemplating the lengthening darkness. Thank mm-hmm. you.
Now may the God of the other side reach across the line, grasp you firmly, and pull you into mercy. Amen. Did the day give way to the deafening dark? Did you fear you were alone? Did the rain turn to snow? Did the snow hide the only path you've ever known? Did you wonder who would stand up for you and lead you safely home? Could it be you were called for a time such as this? Could it be? Good to see you all, and uh, let's just uh, thank Johnny for playing. So good to have him here. And he's going to play a couple more songs. If you want to sit around and uh, talk amongst yourself, don't get too close, don't touch each other, but enjoy uh, the music. God bless you.
I've had to find the words along the way I'm not always the man I want to be I will always love you, you belong to me You belong, fearless and free, you belong Sometimes living can fill your heart with fear Sometimes a simple truth is hard to hear You make mistakes sometimes, sometimes you deceive I will always love you, you belong to me so Come back home anytime you need a rest all your restless wandering in the wilderness You are fine just as you were made to be I will always love you, you belong to me You belong fearless and free You belong
There's an open wound bleeding on the ground where the people were, and the princes beat them down. But there's a tiny seed growing even now, lighted up. And there's a violent storm, but the thunder clouds will pass, and the winds will die. And the water become glass And we'll remember how Afraid we were in that Light it up Until the sun comes shining Yeah, and shines its light on you was a lonely day and a curtain torn in two and a deep dark grave and no light gets through and it's Friday night but Sunday's coming to light it up light it up light it up light it up Thank you.